This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Founder of New France, A Chronicle of Champlain, by Charles W. Colby, Chronicles of Canada Series, Volume 3. Chapter 2. Champlain in Acadia. Footnote. This word, Acadia, has sometimes been traced to the Micmac Acade, which, appended to place names, signifies an abundance of something. More probably, however, it is a corruption of Arcadia. The Acadia of de Mons Grant in 1604 extended from the parallel of 40 degrees to that of 46 degrees north latitude. But in the light of actual occupation, the term can hardly be made to embrace more than the coast from Cape Breton to Penobscot Bay. End of footnote. The early settlements of the French in America were divided into two zones by the Gulf of St. Lawrence. Considered from the standpoint of colonization, this great body of water has a double aspect. In the main, it was a vestibule to the vast region which extended westward from Gaspé to Lake Michigan, and thence to the Mississippi. But while a highway, it was also a barrier, cutting off Acadia from the main route that led to the heart of the interior. Port Royal, on the Bay of Funday, was one center, and Quebec another. Between them stretched either an impenetrable wilderness or an inland sea. Hence Acadia remained separate from the Laurentian Valley, which was the heart of Canada, although Acadia and Canada combined to form New France. Of these two sister districts, Canada was the more secure. The fate of Acadia shows how much less vulnerable to English attack were Quebec, Three Rivers, and Montreal than the seaboard settlements of Port Royal, Grand Pré, and Louisbourg. It is a striking fact that Champlain had helped to found Port Royal before he founded Quebec. He was not the pioneer of Acadian colonization. De Meaux deserves the praise of turning the first sod. But Champlain was a leading figure in the hard fight at St. Croix and Port Royal. He it was who first charted in any detail the Atlantic seaboard from Cape Breton to Cape Cod. And his narrative joins with that of Les Carbeaux to preserve the story of the episode. Although unprosperous, the first attempt of the French to colonize Acadia is among the bright deeds of their colonial history. While the death of de Chaste was most inopportune, the future of the French race in America did not hinge upon any one man. In 1603, fishing on the Grand Bank off Newfoundland was a well-established occupation of Normans and Bretons. The fur trade held out hope of great profit, and the spirit of national emulation supplied a motive which was stronger still. Hence it is not surprising that to de Chaste there at once secedes de Mont. As regards position, they belonged to much the same class. Both were men of standing, with enough capital and influence to organize an expedition. In respect, however, of personality and circumstance, there were differences. By reason of advanced age, de Chaste had been unable to accompany his ships, whereas de Mont was in his prime and had already made a voyage to the St. Lawrence. Moreover, de Mont was a Huguenot. A generation later, no Huguenot could have expected to receive a monopoly of the fur trade and a royal commission authorizing him to establish settlements. But Henry IV, who had once been a Protestant, could hardly treat his old co-religionists as Richelieu afterwards treated them. The heresy of its founder was a source of weakness to the first French colony in Acadia, yet through a Calvinist it came into being.
Like de Chaste, de Mont had associates who joined with him to supply the necessary funds, though in 1604 the investment was greater than on any previous occasion, and a larger number were admitted to the benefits of the monopoly. Not only did Saint-Malo and Rouen secure recognition, but La Rochelle and Saint-Jean-de-Luz were given a chance to participate. De Mont's company had a capital of 90,000 livres, divided into shares, of which two-fifths were allotted to Saint-Malo, two-fifths to La Rochelle and Saint-Jean-de-Luz conjointly, and the remainder to Rouen. The personal investment of de Mont was somewhat more than a tenth of the total, as he took a majority of the stock which fell to Rouen. Apart from Sully's unfriendliness, the chief initial difficulty arose over religion. The Parlement of Normandy refused to register de Mont's commission on the ground that the conversion of the heathen could not fitly be left to a heretic. This remonstrance was only withdrawn after the king had undertaken to place the religious instruction of the Indians in the charge of priests, a promise which did not prevent the Protestant colonists from having their own pastor. The monopoly contained wider privileges than before, including both Acadia and the St. Lawrence. At the same time, the obligation to colonize became more exacting, since the minimum number of new settlers per annum was raised from fifty to a hundred. Champlain's own statement regarding the motive of de Mont's expedition is that it lay in the desire to find a northerly route to China in order to facilitate commerce with the Orientals. After reciting a list of explorations which began with John Cabot and had continued at intervals during the next century, he continues, So many voyages and discoveries without results, and attended with so much hardship and expense, have caused us French in late years to attempt a permanent settlement in those lands which we call New France, in the hope of thus realizing more easily this object, since the voyage in search of the desired passage commences on the other side of the ocean and is made along the coast of this region. A comparison of the words just quoted with the text of de Mont's commission will serve to illustrate the strength of Champlain's geographical instinct. The commission begins with a somewhat stereotyped reference to the conversion of the heathen, after which it descants upon commerce, colonies, and mines. The supplemental commission to de Mont for Montmorency, as Lord High Admiral, adds a further consideration, namely, that if Acadia is not occupied by the French, it will be seized upon by some other nation. Not a word of the route to the east occurs in either commission and de Mont is limited in the powers granted to a region extending along the American seaboard from the 40th parallel to the 46th, with as much of the interior as he is able to explore and colonize. This shows that, while the objects of the expedition were commercial and political, Champlain's imagination was kindled by the prospect of finding the long-sought passage to China. To his mind, a French colony in America is a stepping-stone, a base of operations for the great quest. De Mont himself doubtless sought honor, adventure, and profit, the profit which might arise from possessing Acadia and controlling the fur trade in the River of Canada. Champlain remains the geographer, and his chief contribution to the Acadian enterprise will be found in that part of his voyages which describes his study of the coastline southward from Cape Breton to Malabar. But whether considered from the standpoint of exploration or settlement, the first chapter of French annals in Acadia is a fine incident. Champlain has left the greatest fame, but he was not alone during these years of peril and hardship. With him are grouped de Mont, Poutrincourt, Les Carbeaux, Pontgrave, and Louis Hébert, 
all men of capacity and enterprise, whose part in this valiant enterprise lent it a dignity which it has never since lost. As yet no English colony had been established in America. Under his commission, de Mont could have selected for the site of his settlement either New York, or Providence, or Boston, or Portland. The efforts of the French in America from 1604 to 1607 are signalized by the character of their leaders, the nature of their opportunity, and the special causes which prevented them from taking possession of Norumbega. Footnote. There appears in Verrazano's map of 1529 the word Arenbega, as attached to a small district on the Atlantic seaboard. Ten years later, Norumbega has become a region which takes in the whole coast from Cape Breton to Florida. At intervals throughout the 16th century, fables were told in Europe of its extraordinary wealth, and it was not till the time of Champlain that this myth was exposed. Champlain himself identifies the great river of Norumbega with the Penobscot. End of footnote. De Mont lacked neither courage nor persistence. His battle against heartbreaking disappointments shows him to have been a pioneer of high order. And with him sailed in 1604 Jean de Biencourt, Seigneur de Poutrecourt, whose ancestors had been illustrious in Picardy for five hundred years. Champlain made a third, joining the expedition as geographer rather than shipmaster. Lescarbot and Hébert came two years later. 